0: Hey, hey, everybody, I just want to talk to you guys first thing here about another awesome podcast. There's so many podcasts out there. Everyone and their mother has a podcast, but a good one, one that's been around for a long time, and one that I love is Good Morning Liberty, hosted by Nick and Charlie. Uh, These are two guys who have a background in the healthcare industry. They talk finance. They're really good at breaking down uh, these complex ideas, going through news stories and really making it easy to explain and digest and really to take the idea and the things they talk about and really influence your friends, influence the conversation. And that's what it is all about. So check out Nick and Charlie with Good Morning Liberty. You can find the show anywhere podcasts are found. Follow them on Twitter also, at GoodAMLiberty. Awesome follow, entertaining follow, and you'll learn something too. So check it out, Good Morning Liberty. We are born free Welcome in, welcome in to another edition of Finding Freedom right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. And ladies and gentlemen, have an awesome show for you guys today. Something very near and dear to my heart, Um, really something near and dear to um, what set me off along this this path, uh, down this path of podcasting and talking about criminal justice reform And uh, something that I think is very important to be able to create the cultural change necessary to really end the stigma uh, that we have for formerly incarcerated individuals, for felons, for people who have been to prison, uh, for getting them back in society and working. And that, of course, is, you know, normalizing formerly incarcerated people in the workplace and uh, taking advantage and using their skills. Um, So they're able to add value to society. So I got a great guest today who uh, has written an awesome book talking about that exact same thing. And not only about the moral argument why that should be done, but the utilitarian argument and backing it up with the data to show that it is the only way and really the best way. And that it's necessary because so many people have been to prison in our ridiculous mass incarceration system that we have here in the United States. That if we don't do this, if we don't normalize felons and formerly incarcerated in the workplace, then we're not going to have enough people to work and to create things and to uh, get the economy going. So excited for this interview, guys. Let's uh, not waste any more time and get right into it. Okay, my guest today on Finding Freedom is Jeff Korzenik. He is the chief investment strategist for one of the nation's largest banks where he's responsible for investment strategy and the allocation of over $40 billion in assets. Uh, for more than 30 years, Jeff has been known in the investment management industry for the clarity and originality he brings to complex challenges. He's a regular guest on CNBC, Fox Business News, Bloomberg, uh, for his insights into the economy, markets, manufacturing, and the workforce. Jeff's writings on economics and public policy have been published in Barron's, Forbes, the Chicago Tribune, and and many other other periodicals. Uh, He's testified on Capitol Hill as an expert witness on the use of commodity indexes by pensions and other institutional investors. And today, he is here on Finding Freedom to talk about his new book, which is very relevant to... uh, To my show with uh, how passionate I am about criminal justice reform. His book is called Untapped Talent, How Second Chance Hiring Works for Your Business and the Community. Jeff, welcome to Finding Freedom. Thanks so much, John. Great to be with you. Great to have you on the show, Jeff. And before we get into talking about your book, um, I I think it's interesting. I think the angle which you've attacked this this, uh, subject from an economic perspective, uh, but before we get into into that and talk about the book, maybe you can talk about your background and how you got interested in business and economics and investments and how you uh, found, your, found your way down this path.
1: Well, you know, I've always had a passion for it. I was one of those guys who in uh, college uh, subscribed to the Wall Street Journal and read it faithfully every day and uh, just grew up with a fairly traditional investment management background. Um, the only way it's non-traditional is I, I started out on the commodity side. Uh, so, uh, gradually made my way over to more traditional investments and have been in my current role for 11 years. And just one of these people who loves unlocking and solving the puzzles that are presented every day by the economy.
0: Yeah. And, uh, one of the biggest puzzles, well, we have a lot of puzzles right now in the economy and, uh, your book addresses, Two of them, or I guess maybe more than that, but two I think of primarily being the the labor shortage and uh, what well, we have a a problem with, uh, you know, finding proper employment um, for the formerly incarcerated. So uh, you can you start out talking about that that first issue, the uh, the labor shortage, which I think you published this book in April, right? And uh, really, every day that goes by here, we see more of an impact right now from this labor shortage. So I'm just kind of curious to get your take on. Just what's happening currently today with, with the labor shortage?
1: Sure. There, there's this long-term backdrop, which is largely demographic. We, we are not replacing our population. We're heading to a labor shortage just based on birth patterns and fertility patterns in, in the United States. But it's absolutely been exacerbated by the pandemic. The pandemic is this great disruptor of economic trends. When people's work is disrupted, they have trouble Uh, They get kicked out of the workforce. They have trouble getting back in the workforce. We've had changes in geographic trends, industry trends, all sorts of things that are really causing a lot of disruption in the labor force, compounded by government policies that are um, holding people back from making some of the really tough decisions. And all of that is adding up to a really uh, surprisingly tough labor shortage at this level of, uh, of recovery in the economy.
0: So do you see, I I, I, I get what you're saying, long term with fertility rates dropping, leading to uh, one of the factors leading to a labor shortage long term. But just in the short term, I'm curious to get your opinion. What do you see happening in the next maybe two to five years here? Is this something that's going to get Worse in the short term, and then get a little better, and then over the long term get worse, or is that a uh, getting no, asking there, too much to predict? Predict all
1: well, that. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna divide that up into demand for labor and supply for labor. Okay. Demand for labor is absolutely coming back, and it's coming back at a really robust pace. There, mm-hmm. There's a wall of cash that has been, or a mountain of cash that has been built up, is as a result of all the fiscal stimulus, as well as simply the inability to go out and spend on travel and entertainment and things like that during the the lockdown portion uh, of the pandemic. So uh, that cash is about to be unleashed or is already being unleashed. And that's causing a demand for goods and services, which means a demand for labor. The supply issue is trickier. Uh, We hurt our supply of labor. If you look at uh, measurements like labor force participation rates after a couple of years of recovery leading up to uh, 2020, during the pandemic, a lot of people have just dropped out of the labor force. Mm-hmm. And I do believe they're coming back over the next couple of years, but I don't think they are going to come back to the old highs very easily. We have lost a lot of uh, older workers who had stayed in the workforce, and I don't think they're coming back. We've lost some uh, women, uh, predominantly women, some men, who've dropped out to watch over children, particularly when schools were physically uh, physically closed. Many will come back, but I think some won't come back. And we don't have the wave of millennials coming into the labor force anymore. So uh, I, I think we are in for uh, the start of this long-term labor shortage will become uh, very evident. Uh, to the degree it's evident already, it's going to get much worse next year.
0: Yeah, Um it's everywhere I go. I see signs for people hiring, and uh, you know, see especially in the restaurant industry, it seems like, um, which I think that's probably more of a short-term thing. I kind of have a theory that people got this uh, the stimulus stimulus cash and. They feel like they're rich, and then a couple months from now, they'll probably be out, be out looking to fill those jobs. Right, and the
1: supplemental unemployment benefits, which run out in September, yeah. and some states are already backing out. I, I think that'll address some of it, but there's some there's some real problems. I mean, think of uh, you know, I, I think it's a pretty good bet that we won't have as many department store jobs as we had prior to yeah. the pandemic, and we're going to have more Amazon warehouse jobs. Mm so you know you might say one for one it's not a real problem but if is the person who worked at a department store for 20 years Now going to be the person to go fill that job at an Amazon warehouse. Some cases yes, but a lot of cases no. And those kind of mismatches are very destructive to labor force participation. You know, there's one other point I'd be remiss if I didn't mention. We also have a new Fed policy, and this Fed's our Federal Reserve, our central bank's new monetary policy framework, as they're as they're calling it, calls for running red hot labor markets. And that's something that the business community has never really had to deal with. Every time labor markets got hot, that got to be about the end of the cycle. And sooner or later, the Fed would raise interest rates, slow the economy, and you didn't have to worry about your labor shortage. The Fed is very intentionally trying to keep labor markets hot for years to come. That's a new challenge for the business community.
0: When you say keep labor markets hot, what what do you exactly mean by that? Well, you
1: know, one measure is uh, prior to the pandemic, we were looking at a a common measurement, looking at the ratio of job openings to job seekers. And prior to the pandemic for uh, a period of nearly two years, which was unprecedented, uh, we saw more job openings than job seekers. That's, you know, kind of definition of a hot labor market. The Fed wants to go back to those days, uh, perhaps not to that exact measurement, but they're very focused on the power of employment to address some social ills, and so they want to see what they're calling broad-based and inclusive employment. And you know, no one's really sure how they're measuring it, uh, but. Uh, Uh, Fed Chair Powell has referenced say, uh, African American unemployment rates versus white unemployment rates and those rates of unemployment had been narrowing prior to the pandemic shot back up. Um, I think there's a desire on the feds part to create conditions that are conducive to addressing those those inequalities.
0: Well, that's an interesting conversation. We could probably save that right, for, it, it, for, for another day. But It's, uh, it's a lot
1: of fine-tuning. Um, yeah, yeah. Really a decent economic history. You know, labor markets get hotter. People come in off the sidelines. Um, and, you know, frankly, in my work with second-chance hiring, I've seen the business community respond to tight labor markets by becoming more interested in trying to explore reaching out to these marginalized labor forces.
0: Right. So let's let's uh, f- I'm, we're talking about the book already, but to focus in on the second chance aspect of the book. So the way that you approached this book was from a very uh, practical uh, standpoint. At least that, that that was my takeaway. That this needs to really happen to meet this uh, this labor shortage. So. First of all, what motivated you to, to write this book in the first place? Sure, I,
1: I started getting interested in this in 2013, 2014, when a big topic uh, among uh, people who follow the economy was uh, why we were missing people from the labor force. And as I looked into it more and more, I started to realize that we had an opportunity to bring people on off the sidelines from this, this population of people who've been marginalized by by virtue of uh Interaction with the criminal justice system, and I uh, fortunately stumbled across employers who who had figured out a very uh, successful way to make this a business proposition and, and uh, investment, not a not a charitable act. Uh, but there was a very specific way to do it, and I started talking about this, sharing the information I had learned with our uh, business customers uh, around the country, and I got to the point where I, I simply needed to leverage my time. So in 2019, I did 141 flight segments. I I couldn't travel more. I also find businesses would be interested by hearing me speak, but they needed more in-depth tools in which to actually implement it. And they also needed the credibility of of a book and written cases in order to combat some of the internal inertia and objections that they faced. So uh, a book became uh, the pathway to solving all of those issues.
0: So w- with regards to second chance hiring, um, obviously a big piece of that is the United States has this massive over-incarceration problem. And you talk about that in the book. Can you just, uh, there's a lot of factors that drive that, but, but some of the, the main drivers for that over-incarceration.
1: Sure. I, I mean, starting in the 70s and 80s, um, it, it started in many ways as a response to uh, rising inner city crime in, in the late 60s and into the 70s. It was a response to, uh, to uh, drugs and the you know, quote unquote war on drugs. And then we, we kind of stumbled along it became uh, just a bad system where uh, public prosecutors became incented to uh, to get as many convictions of uh, of the highest crimes they could because that furthered their careers. And, I, I, you know, I don't think there's all this malicious intent that some people ascribe to criminal justice system. I, I specifically reference in the book uh, a saying, an aphorism called Hanson's Razor, which says never attribute to malice that which can be adequately explained by stupidity. And what we've been left with after all these decades is a really stupid criminal justice system, one that doesn't promote uh Public safety and doesn't promote uh, better community. So that that to me is uh, is where we've ended up. I, I don't like to get into um, saying you know who's responsible, but but that's where we are, and uh, we we certainly can do better.
0: Yeah, and that's that's something I I like to remind people of. And you know, we were talking before the show about how this show used to be called Felony Friday with a primary focus on interviewing people who'd been to prison, and you know something that. One of the main complaints that they have, probably maybe not the biggest, but it's consistent across the board, is that transition, that re-entry, being able to uh, gather the skills needed to actually get in back into society and, and add value. There's just so many obstacles in place that it's it's impossible for for a lot of people. So. To me, that's a huge obstacle that I see, and you do talk about that in the book. So can you go through some of the ways that either companies or nonprofits and, and these uh, these other helpers uh, that you've seen, uh, how they can ease that problem, ease that transition? Sure. It, it,
1: and this is something that actually uh, – where, where government can do a better job, uh, too, and not focus as exclusively in, in – uh, incarceration on on punish, punishment and sequestration of people from society. Um, I, I think many prison systems are starting to understand that part of their role, if it's if their role is truly to promote justice and public safety, they should be equipping people better um, to get out out the gates. Mm-hmm. Um, but. That's not universally uh, true, uh, as uh, your listeners may know. We have a very fragmented prison system. There's the federal system, but that's a fairly small part of the prison population. You really have 50 different systems, the state-by-state systems. And some do a good job, some do a terrible job, and even guts down to the facility. So nonprofits have played this really critical role in um, helping people uh, get back on their feet. And it, it might be soft skills training, um, basic technology training so people can actually apply for a job in our in our digital age, helping people further their education, critical things like just regaining your 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 IDs that may have expired while you were in prison, um, housing, transportation. Uh, there's just this whole host of obstacles uh, that people who exit uh, incarceration face that that are poorly understood, I think, by the business community.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's poorly understood by by everyone. And, you know, on top of all that, there's uh there's just the stigma that, that's attached to it. Absolutely. Um, innocent or guilty. Um, you know, a lot of people forget that most people, the vast majority who go to prison, everyone's gonna get out of prison eventually. And right, you know 95%. W- Absolutely. W- w- whether you agree or, or disagree with uh or, with what they did um, they're going to get back into into society and to have an attitude that you don't think that they should be able to integrate fully and, uh, you know, provide some value to society. That's only making it more of a public safety issue because that's going to drive them back into maybe some of the dangerous and pot- potentially violent uh, things that, that they were doing before. So we talked about re-entry and the next step after that, once they do get hired, um, you kind of went through some different models of how companies um, hire felons and uh, you know, how they are you know, used in, in the workforce. So you, can right. you talk about those different models, ones that work well and ones that really don't work so well?
1: Yeah, thank you for asking about that. For me, this was sort of a breakthrough uh, section because I learned from all these companies that do it right and have this great model that... Yes, requires an investment of time and sometimes some money and accommodation, but returns a, a, a great employee, someone who's very dedicated and very loyal. And, and that means uh, boils down to profitable. But as I started to talk about this in the business community, uh, business owners and executives would be coming up to me and saying, Oh, no, I hired them and it didn't work that way. And as I dug down, I came to understand that many, many people in the business community have tried it but had a negative experience and don't want to try it again. So the challenge became understanding uh, and communicating that the problem was not the population uh, of people with records, but was the process and the models they followed. So the, the most common model I would guess out there are, uh, is what I call the disposable employee model. And, and this might be you know, a low end fast food restaurant, or it might be people in different kinds of maintenance or sanitation uh, type businesses um, where the job skills are, are, are fairly low um, and uh, there's not a lot of training that goes on. And what you need is a body there. And so the business model is how can you get the cheapest body possible? And if you hire people who've exited incarceration, there may be a tax credit, the work opportunity tax credit that lasts for a certain period of time. And you know, if they stay past that, fine. If they don't, it, it doesn't matter. You just got a cheap employee. And, and that's a case of you get what you pay for, right? You're not mm-hmm. a terribly selective in the model. You're not terribly supportive of someone's career. And so you have high turnover. Um, it probably works on a short- term basis. I don't think it will work if we get into a labor shortage and people have other alternatives. I don't condemn it. I mean, at least it's it's a chance for someone who did, would not have uh, might not otherwise have a chance. The more common uh, problematic model was what I call the undifferentiated model. And this is a traditional business approach. You you have your model of supporting employees through, you know, 401k matches and things like that. Um, And you interviewed someone who had a criminal record and you thought you'd give them a shot. And the problem becomes, um, you may have identified the right person, the person who really is ready to turn their uh, life around, very engaged and wants to do well. But it's a 50-50 shot whether that person is equipped to succeed. Mm -hmm. And people with uh, these uh, backgrounds Uh, typically come with a lot of gaps uh, in uh, in terms of being a viable employee. Some of them are hard gaps. They don't have access to reliable transportation. So one of these employees has a car breakdown, has no money to repair for the car, doesn't know what to do, so just never shows up again, right? That's, That's a possible outcome. Or you have people who've never had mentoring in their life and don't know how to navigate conflict at work and maybe blow up. Um, so you can get a lot of uh, mixed outcomes with that model. What's needed to make this work and it, 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 to be clear, this is an investment. this is something that employers have to go at with intention, but it's worth it is a model which identifies who's who's truly ready to turn their life around, often in conjunction with a nonprofit partner that's built a relationship, and then needs to understand the gaps, the individual gaps that employee might have and help them, fill those gaps. And that might be uh, referring them to a nonprofit that will help with transportation or housing. That might be a matter of mentoring or coaching that that employee has never had in their life. I know a second chance employer in Philadelphia who provides people with alarm clocks because they've never been asked to show up on time every day before. Um, So there's these very basic things that can come up and it requires a, uh, a, a management team, supervisory team, that understands, that doesn't condemn, accepts people from where they are, and looks to let them rebuild themselves, and uh, will be surprised by the energy and loyalty that they display.
0: Yeah, and another big aspect of this, as you were talking, I was thinking of it, because my, my, my own personal experience, when I first went into the workforce, I worked in a very industrial uh, manufacturing environment. And I actually, like one of the first things I did was I, they sent me to work in hr to to hire people, and I made the mistake of taking the, the resumes that had the the box checked for with felons and put them in, in the pile to get rid of them and uh, I took them to the plant manager and my plant manager is like, "Well, where are the ones with you know, the criminal record? you know we have some of our best workers have uh, that's where we find them so that was a quick learning experience for me, and then getting that you know personal relationship with people who had been to prison, so I, I think that one way to overco- overcome just just the stigma and, and the, this cultural stigma that people have of people who've been to prison is by getting more of them into the workforce, and you know, Absolutely. people getting to know them. So that, that's that's a huge piece of it, because yeah, I,
1: I couldn't agree more. I I think this is a cultural issue in many ways. Um, I was fortunate when I was a kid, my dad, uh, who, who was a man of great achievement, came from very very uh, poor backgrounds but never lost touch with his uh, roots. Uh, When I was a kid, I would go with him on what he called his errands. It was really an excuse to visit the old neighborhood. And uh, he introduced me to a friend of his who owned a a junk shop basically. And they had a nice chat. And after we walked, as we walked away, my father mentioned, you know, he was in prison. And I asked for what, and my my dad said, uh, he was in for murder, a crime of passion. Uh, but then my father said something that uh, my dad who passed away in 2003 said something that's stuck with me forever. He said, he's done his time. Mm-hmm. And when you bring it down to individuals that you've met and can interact with, it's much easier to say someone's done their time. They deserve this chance to to rebuild their lives and, and, and join our society.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. When you can put a face to a story that, that is so important. Uh, so w- one more question, Jeff, um, you know, we talked a little bit about some some policies, I think, but anything that uh, from a, a state or federal level that can be done or needs to be done in order to really you know shift this uh, second chance hiring into high gear. You,
1: you know, a number uh, most of this is governed by at the state level, so there's all sorts of disparate policies out there. Uh, one of the most productive things, I think, is to take a look at. Uh, liability reform and giving businesses some safety from negligent hiring liability. Uh, negligent hiring liability, uh, the, the uh, belief that you can you take on extra liability, hiring someone with a criminal record is probably overstated. People fear it more than the reality, uh, but it's a barrier and it's a barrier that doesn't need to be there. And if we can recognize this as such a societal good, uh, we probably could provide a uh, more safe harbors for businesses that do that. States like Texas have done this already very successfully. Um, that that that's one that I, I think is not on the radar screen of uh, screen of most reformers. I mean, there are lots of things. Uh, uh, bail reform is good uh, because it it stops getting in the way of, of people being able to keep their jobs. Um, community supervision, parole, and probation reform is good because again, it it, it keeps. Um, uh, those things can be too heavy-handed and can interfere with people's ability to uh, to prosper and and thrive and 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 it's counterproductive. So there are lots of things, but I, I like to point out the value of negligent hiring liability reform and safe harbors for employers.
0: All right. Well, um, I want to give you a chance now to do two things. Um, one to you know. Tell people where they can buy the book, which I think people will know where they can find the book these days. But uh, anything else you want to plug? And if there's anything in really important that you wanted to talk about from the book or anything else, uh, please please do that now.
1: I mean, just think for a second if there's <laughs> anything. i were great questions. And actually kind of interesting questions. Off the beaten track, from some of the other questions I've gotten, and very to the point. So I appreciate your your experience with this. Um, Okay, well, we'll just. I I think I'll just tell where the book can be uh, found and where can people can follow me. Uh, Some. Uh, The book can be found on uh, Amazon and wherever you buy uh, books. Uh, I also have uh, links on my website, jeffkorzenik.com. That's K-O-R-Z-E-N-I-K.com, Jeff Korzenik. I'm the only Jeff Korzenik on the planet, so I'm easy to find. Um, And uh, if you want to follow uh, my work, I do have a uh, a Twitter uh, handle, at Jeff Korzenik. Uh, as well as uh, I post quite a bit of stuff along these lines on LinkedIn and would welcome uh, anyone who's interested in following my work.
0: All right, Jeff. Well, thank you so much for writing this book and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. All right, taking a quick break here. I want to talk to you all about my friend, friend of the show, Tyler Colford, a.k.a. Crypto Man and his new song. And uh, he's featured on a track with Intrinsic. It's called... First World Problems, basically what it's doing is it's talking about you know, different concepts are woven throughout the track, you know, cancel culture, grifters, inflation, innovation, all kinds of different things, it's really, really interesting track please go wherever you listen to your music, iHeartRadio Spotify, whichever one of these places where you listen to music, please like and follow Crypto Man and please like this song, share with your friends, and it's just an awesome song guys, so I got a clip for you check it out <laughs>
1: Cost of education when internet is free. Blind window makers who simply cannot see. Rumble, rubble or make castle by a hundred shake your muscle until the moment you are born in a major standard stage like a you hire the moment
0: Hope y'all enjoyed that interview on Finding Freedom. Another awesome guest. And hopefully you guys also have subscribed to the Lions of Liberty podcast, and you're getting all three of our unique shows in your uh, little listening device delivered to your ears. Um, If you haven't, please do that. Just go to your app. You know how to do it and subscribe. You can also leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. We would prefer if you did it on Apple Podcasts, but anywhere you can on the internet, please leave us a positive comment. Also, The three shows that we have uh, Monday's show with uh, Mark Clair, our flagship program, our longest running program, and uh, on Wednesday, Electric Liberty Land with Brian McWilliams. Um, Those guys have been killing it, and I am so excited about the direction of Lions of Liberty. Um, We're seeing some awesome numbers right now, and we're going to continue to grow, so it's great stuff. If you want to support us, we would love that too. Please go to patreon.com slash lines of liberty. You can uh, support us for as little as a couple bucks, or if you get in at a higher level, you get merchandise and access to us and all the way up to, you can advertise on the show or get to even produce a show. So check it all out. Patreon.com slash lines of liberty and If you haven't checked it out yet, please consider checking out the Lions of Liberty store where we have some awesome t-shirts. We have a Taxation is Death t-shirt with an awesome design. We have a Wax On Tax Off t-shirt. And we're always coming up with new ideas and adding new t-shirt designs to the store. Check that out at lionsofliberty.store. And if you're in the pride, you get a discount on anything you buy in the store. So you do both of those things and you win. That's all I got, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fire is liberty burning.